0: Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And today we're going to answer a reader question.
1: I'm so excited about this.
0: I know. I, dear listener, I would—I said reader question. I meant listener question. I'm so used to seeing readers <laughs> my email list. But uh, yeah, if you have questions on any of these episodes, dear listener, please do send them in to us uh, either on the emails. You can find our emails pretty much anywhere on the internet. You can go to Twitter. We're both on Twitter, fairly active there. But uh, yeah, send in questions. And today we're going to start with one that came in about episode 100 that was with Seth Godin. And in that episode, I'm going to try and sort of reset the context. Uh, there was We talked about a million things. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's a tour de force. I, I really recommend going back and checking it out.
1: Seth was terrific.
0: He is a little bit of like the Confucius of marketing. So sometimes it can be a little inscrutable and like, what, what does that mean? (laughs) And there was one particular thing that, that confounded this listener. We were talking about sharing, publishing all of your ideas. Uh, It was the section where he's talking about Bruce Schneier, who's a security expert and sort of, or Don Norman, who's a design expert. And they published all of their biggest, biggest thinking in these books and they kind of, you know, in a sense they're giving it away for free. They're giving away all their secrets for free or for super cheap, like a book is so ridiculously underpriced. So that was the kind of the nature of the the conversation. And he kind of ended it by saying something along the lines of, if you think people are buying your secret, you're wrong. And uh, earlier in the episode we had, had talked about, and this was confusing to the listener a little bit. It was like, well, wait a second. If my expertise or my secret or my advice isn't what I'm selling, then what am I selling? Like, what do I have left? I was pretty sure we talked about that earlier in the episode, because I didn't want to put words in Seth's mouth in my reply to this person. Earlier in the episode, sure enough, we did talk about exactly what Seth meant. It made sense to us, so we didn't drill into it anymore on the episode. But earlier, he told a story about McKinsey, and how, you know, imagine this guy that's a McKinsey consultant, and he finds out that he's getting marked up 4X on his hourly for what McKinsey's billing him out, and he gets dissatisfied, he quits, and he finds right away that he's basically making a quarter of what he was making at McKinsey, or what McKinsey was charging for him, which equates to a 16x difference in his hourly rate, rater, yeah, however you want to calculate the price. And in that section is the answer to this listener's question, which is, it's not that in a consulting arrangement, you're not selling your advice. They are paying for your advice, but that's that 16th part. That's that, like the advice that Joe Blow is giving is worth, whatever, $100 an hour, but the advice that McKinsey's giving is worth $1,600 an hour. The premium is the piece, that, in my opinion, Seth was referring to, and that's how I see it as well. The premium piece, the over and above, part of the fee is the part that they're not paying for your advice, they're paying for something else. But you do still have to give your advice and you still have to be smart and you still have to be good at what you do and you still have to deliver. In this example, that's just a tiny bit of it. Where does the premium come from? What is the premium piece that they're paying for? And in in the McKinsey example or any, or Don Norman or anyone famous basically in the particular space, what the buyer is paying for a large part of, of what the buyer is paying for is something less tangible. It's real, but it's probably less tangible. So for example-
1: It's your brand. Uh,
0: yes, it, that's where it comes from, which is what we're probably gonna end up talking about. But just to give a concrete example, it's like, let's say you're the CEO of a corporation and something bad happened. Amazon is like just totally come galloping into your market and they're dominating everything. Things aren't looking good. I'm thinking of Barnes and Noble, and something needs to be done. Something needs to be done. That's a situation where a CEO is going to go hire McKinsey because they want to be able to say to the board immediately, We're sparing no expense on this. We're going to get McKinsey to come in. And if they can't fix it, no one can, basically. So if it ends up going sideways or it doesn't work, it's kind of a, a CYA move on the CEO's part where he or she can say, well, we tried everything. We did everything we could. We hired the best. It's not my fault. That's one thing you can imagine that they're paying for. They're paying way more than they could just for the advice to be able to say, we didn't skimp, we got the best, and it still didn't work, so apparently there was no solution.
1: You're de-risking your choice in that case.
0: Personally. Personally, Mm -hmm. right. Yes, personally. Because of Mm -hmm. your own career. Not necessarily – I mean – Yes, perhaps the company too, but it's a lot more about your own status, your own situation.
1: It's very personal.
0: But that's not the only way. It could be that the CEO is in the hot tub at the club and say, oh, yes, we, we hired McKinsey to, to oh, you guys, you spent, you hired McKinsey. Like, oh, wow, geez, they must be doing pretty good if they could afford McKinsey. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's all the status stuff, this de-risking, risk mitigation things are all of these things that come from brand come from building up a brand over time come from building trust with a large group of people who are in this particular area of focus, let's say what are the organizational consulting or change management or all those things. So that I'm not going to put words in Seth's mouth, but, but this is how I see it is that if you're charging a premium or you want to charge a premium, in other words, more than the average bear, you need to be offering some of these other sort of less they seem secondary, but they're actually worth more, these kind of value adds, or whatever you want to call it. And those come from positioning, and branding, and marketing, and consistency, and authenticity, and specialization, and expertise, like all of the things that we talk about here, contributing into trust, you become the trusted authority.
1: Yeah, so trust is really key, I think, here, because that's what brand really does. And, and what it's kind of saying is that there is a trust level in McKinsey. And to my mind, that's not saying that McKinsey's always going to have the right answer, because we could do a laundry list of the times they've had the wrong answer, (laughs) right? But it's in in terms of the other available alternatives, the trust in McKinsey as a logical choice is high.
0: Right. Yeah. And so you can imagine that at really any profession. So we've talked, uh, certainly I talk about this in my list on a regular basis, and I'm We've talked about it here too. Like standing apart from the crowd, like you need, there needs to be something different about you. And the path to that um, standing out from the horde of options is the path that McKinsey took or IDEO or Don Norman or whoever. It's going to be different. It's going to be personal to you, whatever that thing is. But if you don't build up that kind of brand equity, then. You know, you're kind of just one of the crowd, and then there's no there's no extra special value add intangible that you can use to justify premium prices.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, if only we had a branding expert to talk to about that. <laughs>
1: Gee, maybe we could find one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of like listen to the last hundred plus episodes. Like we talk about this all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, we use McKinsey a lot, but. I used to think of this as, as three firms, and we, we would call them the one firm firm, if that makes sense. So it was McKinsey. Hewitt, which was a big player in the uh, human resource space, and Arthur Anderson. And I you know, worked with Anderson for a while, so sold one of my businesses to them. And they, they all had a very particular brand that had to do with how they really were a one-firm firm. They had one process to teach people. They had one way of doing certain things. You didn't have a lot of cowboys. I mean, the firm I worked for had a lot of cowboys, I liked being a cowgirl, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so there's a, there's a way of presenting themselves in the marketplace that was consistent and it developed trust for their particular approach. There was a consistency and consistency is hard when you have more than one person, right? Sometimes it's mm-hmm. hard enough yeah. for one person to be consistent, but when you keep adding people and you become a global giant, uh, it's even tougher. so it's yeah it's it's really how all those things come together de-risking your choice looking at the status by whether that's you know an expensive watch on your wrist or diamonds in your ears or choosing mckinsey and then that kind of intangible of of trust
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and i know we talked about this before but i recently it was my favorite definition of brand and oh it was for marketing bs I forget the guy's name, apologies, but there's a, a website, marketingbs.com, I think it is. And he's got this fabulous definition of brand. And we talk, you need to, I remember we talked about, uh, I think it was uh, Underwood, Deviled Ham, I think that was the one. Mm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And brand, in his definition, was that it's a promise that you're not going to be surprised. Like if you buy this, you know what to expect. And then when you get it, it's what you expected. Mm-hmm. And that could be consistency and sort of this button down gray suit type of thing, or it could be cowboys. It could be mm-hmm. that you, but if the brand represents these sort of cowboy consultants and you buy it and it turns into this like, oh, this like painstaking process that's hyper managed and there's no creativity, it, you just feel like you're in the sausage factory, then that's going to be a disconnect from the brand and that's going to be, that's bad. I, the reason I bring that up is because. It's not that you need to be, have this, no matter what, if you wanna have a strong brand, you have to have this consistent process, box, 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 box. It's, it's not like that. It's like whatever brand is that, you've, that you wanna project or you have been projecting, you just wanna be consistent with it during the engagement so the expectations are met. So I guess another way to put it, and tell me if you disagree because you're the expert, but it's like setting expectations and then meeting the expectations over and over and over.
1: Well, that's the definition of consistency. And I think the word I like to use a lot is alignment. And the idea is everything you do, your actions, your stories, your visuals should align with this implied promise that you've made to your market. I really like, Jonathan, how you said meeting client expectations, because I can't tell you how many times I hear, oh, we want to exceed client expectations. You really don't. You want to meet them, right? Exceeding implies that you're doing something that is not part of your core promise. It's about meeting client expectations and really thinking about how everything you do is in alignment. So to pick on McKinsey again, McKinsey's not probably not going to say yes to a smaller, medium-sized business right? If I went to McKinsey and said, gee, could you help me with my market positioning? They're going to laugh at me, right? I'm not in their target market. I would not be in alignment for them in terms of the work that they do. So literally it's, it's how you talk to your audience or even one-to-one with your potential clients and prospects and alliance partners. It's staying consistent. And, you know, we've talked about this before, staying in your lane, It's really critical. That's how you build brand, really, because all all brand really is, is it's this implied promise. People look at you and go, this is what I expect. And you want to give them that experience every place that they experience you, whether that's your website or your LinkedIn profile, uh, a podcast recording where you're hosting or you're a guest when you have a, especially when you have a one-to-one conversation, it's got to be consistent.
0: Right. Like you hear that. I mean, if you talk to people about branding, that the huge concern is like, oh no, that's, that's not consistent with a brand. Like we need to say consistent, consistent, consistent. And I think there can be a, when I was less sophisticated about any of this stuff, to me, that meant the same colors everywhere and the logo presented in the same way everywhere. And that's part of it. Yeah, but it's a piece, that, but it's totally missing the boat. Like, that's like okay, yeah, but that on its own, it's kind of like people say, "Oh, the logo doesn't matter." It could be a tree frog; it doesn't matter. It's just, it's the encapsulation of all of the uh, the imply. I love the implied promise. It's the encapsulation of the implied promise. So when you see the tree frog or the the Starbucks mermaid or whatever the the logo is. That has become imbued with meaning because of the consistency. It didn't create the consistency. Yes. It's been given meaning by actions over years and years and years that were consistent with your expectations previous.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's one of the things that I've seen a lot of times when people are just getting started in consulting, they're like, oh, I need to have a logo. I need to have a mark. I need to have this thing and that's not it um you need to have a presence right and you need to have a look right you you probably want a graphic designer to do that for you so it's done well and it's done professionally but it's it's not about the mark it's about having that visual presence be aligned with the people you want to serve the market you want to build the services you want to provide Jonathan, I've teased you from time to time about your stark, pun intended, website, <laughs> but I love it. It's perfect for you. It exactly says, uh, visually, says what you believe in and how you approach it. There's not going to be any BS here. There's no extra anything. It's exactly what's needed and nothing more,
0: hmm, right? Nothing right? less,
1: right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's really critical, I love graphic designers. I love to use them, love to see their work, and I encourage people to hire them. Um, What you don't want to do is you don't want to over-rely on visuals. It's just one piece of what brand is.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there are certain areas where it does make sense to have – where my website would be a terrible fit, the interior designer example. Like, you probably aren't going to use
1: (laughs) – no,
0: <laughs> my style website if you're an interior designer.
1: No, probably not
0: Yeah, so it's not like there's one right way, you know, it's not like oh, you know I want to be an authority so I need to shave my head and wear funny glasses like Seth Godin It's like that's copying the wrong thing The, the thing you want to copy is the fact that he or Don Norman or Bruce Schneier are they're like internally consistent and externally consistent with their brand for long periods of time And I I love the implied promise, the implied promise. That's the, to me, that's the key. It sounds like a title to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We were searching for a title this episode. Yeah, so we're trying
0: to decide on a title. I think that, that one, that's a definite candidate. We've talked about this stuff a lot in the past, here and there, across all the different episodes. So we kind of wanted to pull it all together just to answer this listener question and give you a quick episode on that. Hopefully it's been helpful. And if you again, if you have a question for us on this episode or any other, you can go to JonathanStark.com or um, RochelleMoulton.com or us on Twitter, whatever, just get in touch with us. You know how and uh, fire away. We'd love to hear what you have to say and uh, look forward to answering.
1: Yeah, throw it at us.
0: All right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye.
1: Bye bye.